What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Damp Valley coming at you with another installment of the What If series here at Hardwood Knox. Uh, just as a brief refresher, I polled people who follow, cover, root for uh, every single NBA team and asked them what their biggest what if would be for that franchise. Uh, their responses, I turned into a Bleacher Report article, the link to which I will try and put in the description so you can check out the full version there. But I'm providing an audio version for each division as just sort of this quick digestible content um, that hopefully you can enjoy. I know audio versions of articles can be tough, but I did practice and I think these are turning out fairly okay. Uh, before we get started, just a quick reminder, if you haven't checked this out before, please consider throwing us that permanent subscription, Apple, Spotify, follow us there, download every episode, throw us ratings and reviews. Those help out a ton. Also consider shouting us out on Twitter, recommending us to people, you know, or just bumping the promotions that I'll put out on Twitter. All of that stuff helps just a boatload. It's time though, to get into some more NBA. What ifs, and we're going to go with the Northwest division here. And first up in the Northwest, the Denver Nuggets. Jamal Murray's torn left ACL in April 2021 was my immediate and truthfully only pick when looking at the Denver Nuggets' franchise trajectory. I was wondering if I was just trapped in the present. It turns out, though, that Adam Mates, the VP of Creative Production at DNVR Sports, agreed with me. This is what he wrote on the subject to me. Murray's injury in 2021 is number one because he was playing the best and most consistent basketball of his career in the months leading up to it. Aaron Gordon appeared to solidify the starting lineup, and we all know the heights Nikola Jokic was reaching. Equally important, the run since Murray's injury has been especially wide open in the NBA. The Bucks and Warriors are both great teams, but not quite the same juggernaut as the 2017 Warriors. Lastly, the hardest part of the Murray injury lies with not knowing what the Nuggets have in their big four. As much as I believe it is an incredible mix of talent and fit, we simply don't know how they'd fare in a playoff series against the league's best, smartest, and most versatile teams. So it's an injury that has already cost Denver two playoff runs and could very well cost the Nuggets a third if the team just isn't as good as everyone thought it'd be or if the fit isn't as perfect as it appeared in those six glorious games between the Gordon acquisition and the Murray injury. For me, Dan, no alternative sinks in quite like this one. You could go into the distant past and find more than a few. Uh, you could gobble up the low-hanging fruit and roll with, well, what if the Nuggets never drafted Nicole Jokic at number 41 in 2014? But some variation of that question can resonate for every single squad who bags a star. Mata's did, however, include George Carl's 2010 cancer diagnosis and David Thompson's drug addiction as notable uh, alternatives when we were having this discussion, and both are definitely worth an honorable mention there as well. Minnesota Timberwolves are next up on our NBA What If exercise. Congratulations, Arnauter, for Minnesota Timberwolves fans. The ever-thoughtful Derek James, formerly of a Wolf Among Wolves and Canis Hoopus, and also he currently just started a new substack on the Wolves. Um, he It's a newsletter, uh, Derek James Substack. Check him out on Twitter where you could follow it. Uh, it's at Derek James NBA, spelled exactly as it sounds. But he did not go with the franchise's decision to pass on Steph Curry twice in 2009. On the one hand, though, I still think we need to acknowledge it because it's a pretty big deal. And to Derek's credit, he did. This is what he said to me. Let's remember that then Timberwolves general manager David Kahn and then coach Kurt Rambis were not the nurturing types. Look at how it played out with Johnny Flynn, one of the players whom they selected before Curry. Flynn had a below average to average rookie season and had hip surgery around the beginning of his second season. When he returned, the team did not seem to have the patience for him. Given that Curry had a smattering of ankle issues early in his career, the Rambis-Con duo likely would have mishandled that situation too. 
Remember, many people were unsure what position Curry was in the NBA. And though he was bigger than Flynn, he still wasn't huge by NBA standards. Curry would also have been playing in Rambis' triangle offense, a system that often involves a point guard giving up the ball early. This, to me, tracks. It would be harder to stomach Steph's success if it came after he had worn a Wolves jersey as opposed to his never wearing one at all. Um, so there's that element. And then also, James did go, Derek James did go on to explain um, that he had to go to the Kevin Garnett era for his pick. This is what he wrote on that. We know Garnett's extension changed how teams operated, but it also made building around him difficult. Talented free agents like Kendall Gill and Lafonso Ellis came and left, often because the team could no longer afford them. But the problem wasn't Garnett's contract. It was the illegal Joe Smith contract in 2000 that cost the team four first-round picks, originally five, but 2003's was restored. Sure, these would be mid to late first, but the team's worth their salt find value later in the draft. Between 2000 and 2005, the Wolves drafted only eight players. Of those, none of them played 300 NBA games. So maybe the Wolves were unlucky to draft well anyway, but at least they would have had a chance. While the passing of Curry is one of the most discussed what-ifs, Derek James continued, the illegal Joe Smith contract and the consequences probably matter more because of how much better the early 2000s teams were than the late 2000s teams. The 2004 Western Conference Finals would have been different if Sam Cassell didn't hurt his hip in the previous round. And a young ascending player or two may have buoyed the Garnett era for a few more years and prevented some of the tensions that soured the icons relationship with the franchise. And I think it just makes sense to go with this one in the end, uh, because you're, you're dealing with, it's tough to talk about, well, what if Steph uh, was in Minnesota? Would he have still become Steph Curry with the Blazers? That's too hard of a question to, to answer. It still can be at the top of your, what if I, I totally, I totally get that, but I think that Derek ultimately went with the right choice. Next up in the Northwest Division, we have the Oklahoma City Thunder. This one was obvious to me. For a franchise that hasn't even been in its current market for two decades, the Oklahoma City Thunder sure are brimming with what-ifs. Note, moments from the Seattle Supersonics were not considered for this exercise. Everyone's favorite what-if on a national level remains the same more than a decade later. What if the Thunder never traded James Harden to the Rockets? That's merely the tip of the spear, though. What if they don't blow a 3-1 to lead against the Warriors in 2016? What if Kevin Durant never left? Does Al Horford go to Oklahoma City, still in his prime? In a world where KD returns, do the Thunder move Russell Westbrook to shift up the star pairing? What if various injuries didn't muck up multiple playoff runs following the Thunder's 2012 finals appearance? And yet, even with all of that, and more up for consideration, the answer feels obvious for a different choice. I asked Brandon... Uh, Rabar of Daily Thunder. This is what he wrote to me. There's a reason why Patrick Beverly is Thunder public enemy number one. The Thunder's all-time best team was in 2013, the year they made the finals and traded Harden. They finished 60-22, and 22, were the West number one seed, and had the number one offensive rating, number four defensive rating, and one of the all-time best net ratings. The Thunder were primed to return to the finals for a rematch versus the Heat. If OKC wins it all that season, then the Harden trade narrative, Katie's future, and Westbrook's legacy are all flipped, and that Thunder team is held in higher regard. This is me now, Dan. Generally, I'm not a fan of speaking in absolutes. Did Beverly cost the Thunder a title? We can't be sure. But Russ's meniscus injury was the first in a string of ill-time setbacks. Serge Ibaka's calf strain loomed over the 2014 postseason. Katie missed significant time with a Jones, Jones fracture the following year. Viewed in totality, it seems fair to say that injuries probably cost the Thunder at least one championship, and in the end, so much more. Also, shout out to Bev and Russ, who, as of this recording, are teammates at the moment. The next team up, the Portland Trailblazers. 
I spoke with Bleacher Report's Bryant Knox for this one. And when I approached my esteemed editor about partaking in this project, he answered my question with another one. To ask what if for the Portland Trailblazers, you have to start with the prerequisite, where the hell to begin? Knox is not kidding. Brandon Waugh's career and injury arc, Wesley Matthews' torn Achilles in 2015, drafting LaRue Martin at number one in 1972 rather than Bob McAdoo, who went second overall, or some dude named Julius Irving, who went number 12. Losing the coin toss for the right to get Hakeem Olajuwon at number one in 1984, and then taking Sam Bowie at number two ahead of Michael Jordan, at, who went number three. The list is extensive. Knox settled on the Blazers selecting Greg Oden over Kevin Durant at number one in 2007. This is what he told me. Owen's career swiftly dissolved from fantastically promising to doomed by injury. One day after the draft, thousands of Blazers fans rallied downtown around him. A few days later, the 20-year-old graced the cover of ESPN the magazine, ready to win, quote, like 15 championships. But five years, 82 games, and three micro-fracture surgeries down the road, the experiment ended. On March 15, 2012, the Blazers held a fire sale at the trade deadline, waving Odin. Three months later, Portland watched Durant lace up in his first NBA Finals. This isn't purely about Odin not being KD either, as Knox and I discussed on the side. It's about his never getting the chance to fully actualize himself on the court, a what-if via absentia. There's another side to this that asks, Knox told me, what if Greg had stayed healthy? I think it's the outcome any Blazers fan would choose, even over drafting KD. I couldn't bring myself to roll with that. And just with all of it said, the KD element still looms over Portland like an unending eclipse. And then Knox did close with this. 15 years later, when Durant hits the trade market and then leaves it, and Lillard hits Photoshop amid another rebuild, but then signs an extension, KD's ghost is alive and well in Rip City. And he's among the most prominent of the very expansive, very ghastly bunch. I think this has to be the correct answer in some form, whether it's what if Greg Oden stays healthy or what if the Blazers draft KD. I think this hits harder than the Michael Jordan stuff uh, for sure, but you could certainly go back to one of the Blazers' many what-if draft scenarios. The next and final team that will be in the Northwest Division, and yes, I'm I'm aware that this is very topical when you – when you actually stop and think about it, but it is the, the Utah, the Utah jazz. So I spoke with uh, Dan Clayton from salt city hoops about this one. Uh, But first, I mean, look, despite having an historical track record of what if the Utah jazz's choice almost had to skew more recently, how could it not? We just witnessed the unmaking with more unraveling likely to come of a core that routinely spent the regular season, not merely thriving, but dominating. Quinn Snyder is gone. Rudy Gobert is gone. Royce O'Neal is gone. Donovan Mitchell is gone. This nucleus was championship material, and it didn't age out so much as gross, stale, and implosive. But what if it didn't? What if it got over the hump? Or what if it at least cracked the conference finals? Is anything different now? Perhaps. But you first need to identify the moment that could have reinvented the Jazz's fate. And Dan Clayton found one. This is what he wrote to me. A more recent what-if germane to the Jazz's current situation starts with Edmund Sumner's leg sweep on April 16, 2021, Utah was on a 62-win pace before Sumner got tangled up with Jazz star Donovan Mitchell. The Jazz were a force to be reckoned with, a top-four offense and defense. If Mitchell doesn't hurt his ankle that night, maybe he captures All-NBA honors and earns a Supermax extension. Maybe Joe Ingles doesn't overtax himself over the final month of the regular season and has more left in the tank for the eventual Clippers series. Maybe Mitchell's standoff with medical professionals before Game 1 of the playoffs, a relationship-altering moment for sure, never occurs. 
Maybe if he plays game one, the Jazz don't need five games to get past Memphis. And Mike Conley Jr. doesn't tweak his own hammy in game five, forcing him to miss nearly all of the Clippers series. Most importantly, maybe Mitchell isn't vulnerable to re-injury in game two versus LA. Through game two, Mitchell was shooting 55% on drives in the playoffs, and the Jazz had the Clippers on the ropes. After the tweak, he shot 30% going toward the hoop. He just wasn't the same. The Jazz also suddenly didn't have enough guards who could stay in front of the ball defensively. Mitchell couldn't move laterally. Ingles was exhausted. Conley was hurt. Whether you believe those Jazz were true contenders, I do, Clayton uh, inserted. The version that literally limped out of the playoffs was a different team than the one dominating before Mitchell's injury. They've never been the same since. And look, as we know, we're never going to get a chance to see if they ever could have been the same again. That Jazz team was dismantled, and I agree with Clayton. That was probably just the the flashbulb moment of, you didn't look at it and say, oh, this is the beginning of the end, but that's almost where it can be traced back toward. I hope you enjoyed this installment of NBA What Ifs. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you are getting it. Until next time, I leave you with a shout-out to the one, the only, the indelible, a legend unto himself, filled with so many What Ifs, such as what if he won, rightfully, the past five MVP awards, Frank Neil Aquino.